I would like to point out that uh, Captain Li Shang is a workaholic and a nerd. And I think the moment anybody asked him about children, I think he would have to immediately remember in that moment that he could fuck. That that was just an option presented to him. That he that was now suddenly available, and I think he would have a panic attack. That is just... <laughs> like, him being like, yeah, I want a thousand children, I'll fuck forever, was very <laughs> odd. <laughs> that's, exactly, that's not Shang at all. Welcome to Mortified, the Friendship Quest, a podcast where two long-distance friends bounce media recommendations, all in hopes the other will like it. I'm Aaron. And I'm evil as plain as the scar on his face. And this week, we celebrate our 100th episode with a Disney sequel spectacular. Before I die on a completely indefensible hill, remember you can help us on Mortified, the Legitimacy Quest by subscribing to us on YouTube, iTunes, or Spotify signing up for our monthly newsletter through the link in our show notes, or following us on Twitter and Tumblr at MortifiedPod. Layla? Aaron? Congratulations. We've done it. We've done 100 episodes of this fucking podcast. Can you believe this shit? I fucking cannot. 100 episodes. That's in... That's... That's unbelievable. Honestly. <laughs> I don't... I don't think either of us expected to be doing this this long, um, but, you know, we just started it because, you know, we were both kind of lonely and bored during COVID, uh, and now we are, you know, hopefully less lonely and bored. Um, COVID's still here, which is unfortunate. Uh, we were kind of hoping, listen, listen, we're sorry we couldn't cure COVID for you listeners, um, but we are trying to help you get through it. Um, we did cure a couple, a couple strains you've never heard of, and you're welcome. Yeah. Yeah, the, um, the, I was gonna say the beta strain, the <laughs> omega. <laughs> no, unfortunately, we made that one worse. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, unfortunately, all of my fucking simping for hot women. Um, but, like, uh, yeah, I mean, I think this is, I think you can tell that we have both changed as people, us, uh, from our first episode, but also, I think, just, like, in general, this has been, like, a really good tool to teach us to speak about media in, in interesting and, and, you know, both more generous and more cutting ways. Yeah, I think we, this is some real Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hour shit, right? Because like, we have just inevitably become better at criticism through practice. Um, and I think it's important to point out that sometimes becoming better at criticism does mean becoming a little bit kinder about it. Um, cause man, we have seen, we've seen some shit that tries real hard and then we've seen some shit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about both, maybe not even, mm, we'll see how hard these ones tried today. Uh, but we are going to be really, really exercising those critic muscles today. Uh, for you listeners, we have brought a variable <laughs> charcuterie board of delights. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> we have all sorts of stinky cheeses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you got your, your breeze, you got your camemberts. Um, right, so Aaron, do you want to talk about why this happened? I mean, my understanding is that we were like, shit, we need to do something like cool and fun and weird for our 100th episode. And we both sat at our computers for like 10 minutes being like, what should we fucking do? 
Um, and then I think you came up with the idea of like, we could review Disney sequels. <laughs> and right. I was like, oh no, that actually sounds like a good idea. <laughs> right. And part of the reason that happened is because I continually reference Pocahontas 2 and Hunchback 2. And now we've actually rewatched them. And now we'll actually get to talk about them. Uh, do you want to run us through um, the five titles that we've chosen? Uh, in discussion order... Um, which is also to say our preference from best to worst. Uh, the Lion King 2, Simba's Pride, The Hunchback of Notre Dame 2, The Return of Jafar, Pocahontas 2, Journey to a New World, and Mulan 2 there at the end. Um, we, looking through each other's notes, we had like surprisingly different takes on these films, and it's going to be... Mm, we're gonna have some conversations unfortunately. and at the same time at the same time we did uh we did sometimes make the same exact note <laughs> yeah <laughs> like three or yeah. four times like if that is i think i think that is evidence that the uh fucking the friendship simulator the, the quest has succeeded uh we've melded into the same uh critic brain which is which is good i guess um uh, Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna do summaries very quickly because uh, most people are familiar with these stories and these movies uh, do nothing in for a very long time most of the time. Um, so uh, how do you want me to start or do you want to start with the? How summaries? about you start and we'll just fucking switch off. Okay, we'll do let's do discussion order again. So Lion yeah. King two, Simba's extremely horny daughter meets Scar's extremely horny adopted son. They unite the prides. Uh, Hunchback 2, Quasimodo finds a girlfriend when the circus comes to town. Uh, she works for a thief. Um, also, Esmeralda and uh, Phoebus have a kid. It's fine. It's, yeah, it's fine. The Return of Jafar. Uh, Jafar's back. <laughs> you know him. You love him. He's back. <laughs> and also, it's about Iago a lot. For some reason, Rip uh, Gilbert Gottfried. Also fine. Pocahontas 2, uh, Pocahontas teaches the English that they are, in fact, the barbarians. Um, that one's gonna be contentious, unfortunately. <laughs> it's, gonna get, it's gonna get, it's gonna get rough. Um, Mulan 2, uh, Mushu interrupts Mulan and Shang's flimsy wedding plans. Mushu deserves to be shot. <laughs> really we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> Oh, my God. Okay, so now, uh, listeners, you might be like, oh, my God, they watch five movies. They usually go through all the characters. Don't fucking worry about it. We're not going to go through all of them. Um, but before we even hit characters, I did go through, uh, and I did collect some data. Um, it is here in a nice little table. So, unfortunately, because a lot of these are direct to VHS or direct to DVD, not a lot of budget data out there for them. And I was not about to pay nineteen ninety nine to Jeff Bezos for IMDb Pro. Um... The one I could find the most information about, surprisingly, was Aladdin 2, uh, Return of Jafar, which was made on a budget of $3.5 million and made $100 million domestic and $300 million worldwide. And The Lion King 2 made $300 million worldwide, now about $450 million to date. Um, the RT critic ratings um, kind of agreed with us for the most part. Uh, the Lion King 2 comes in at a hot 62%, which is, uh, as you're about to find out, pretty good. Uh, our two middle picks, uh, Aladdin and Hunchback, are at 40 and 26% respectively. Pocahontas 2 rolls in at a 29%, and Mulan Astonishingly. 2... Astonishingly. <laughs> and Mulan 2, 0%. 
Which is accurate. Um, here's the thing. I, I blame a lot of this on the success of uh, Return of Jafar, right? Because I think Return came out in 1994, like very soon after Aladdin, like original came out. And they were like, oh, we can put like zero dollars into a movie and these idiots will lap it up like caviar. Um, and, you know, like they, you know, fucking got a hundred times the, the return on, on on Return of Jafar, and now we have a bunch of really, really bad movies. Um, except for Lion King, which is, like, pretty good. Um, but, alright, this is, you know, it, there's a lot of discourse. We often talk about how Disney is a, you know, a, a money-hungry uh, corporation that is that is just trying to make a buck by extrapolating on their existing IP or reiterating on, on stories that have already been told. You know, I could talk about how they you know, continue to do this with the Star Wars uh, franchise, and it bugs me to no end. But, like, they've been doing this, right? Like, they didn't need to make a Bambi 2, but there's one out there that we thankfully did not watch. Uh, but there's like, also yeah. a Fox and the Hound 2. There's a Lady <laughs> sure. and the Tramp 2. There's a Little Mermaid 2, which is actually not that bad. I've heard that, too. I think that one's all right. Um, yeah. But, yeah, like, that's the thing, right? They made so many of them because apparently it worked, right? Um, I don't know. We'll probably talk about production in a bit, but like apparently they were able to make them like incredibly cheaply and get such a return on it that it didn't matter the the dog shit quality. Like it seems to me the vast majority of the budget went to hiring the original voice cast back. That's truly what it sounds like because a lot of these like Ming Na Wen came back to voice Mulan, uh. And, uh, you know, uh, fucking Nathan Lane came back for Lion King 2, and, and so did uh, uh, Matthew Broderick. So, like, yeah, like, a, a bunch of budget went to, to The Voice, which, I mean, like, if you think about it, right, from the perspective of, of a kid, a kid's not going to notice if Simba's face is a little janky, but they are going to notice if he sounds funny. Yeah, I think that's completely right. Like, I, you know, when I was a child, I think I thought all these movies looked fine. You know, as somebody who's a little bit older, now I can see, you know, they, they where they skimmed. But, like, yeah, as a kid, I thought these were all, like, pretty fine films, uh, the ones that I watched. Um, but that is actually not the case. Um, what's, you know, wh- where do we want to start? <laughs> I mean, discussion order sounds like a great, a great way to go. So let's talk about The Lion King 2 colon Simba's Pride. Like, like a genuinely, like, pretty good movie. Like, uh, so The Lion King is, is famously based off of, I want to say, Hamlet, right? So this one is just Romeo and Juliet. Um, you and know, The Lion they... King one and a half is uh, Rosencrantz and Gildernstern are dead. Oh, really? Is that mm-hmm. the... That's really cool, actually. I remember liking one and a half when I saw it. Um, one and a half is but... a riot. I started watching it after two. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I need a palate cleanser. Let me just... Yeah, um, good film. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, how do we feel about, you know, our our, our main plot, I guess? Like, I, I, mean, I thought it was fine. Do we want to do, do the characters before we get into, like... Because there are some new ones. There's some new faces. Yeah, I mean, namely, uh, Kiara, who is Simba's daughter, and Kovu, who is Scar's adopted son. So did you find out why he is not Scar's biological son? Mm-mm. Okay, so that was the plan, right? They're like, okay, we're gonna have uh, Simba and Scar, Simba's daughter and Scar's son, um, become the the people that are like our Romeo and Juliets and unite uh, the the two warring factions. Because basically, like, oh, they would be related. Yes, exactly. They oh. they got that far, and then someone was like, 
I think it was, um, I don't think it was John Lasseter, but it was like one of those big higher ups. I have it in my notes. Um, but like, he's like, hey, y'all, they would be cousins once removed. And everyone was like, oh, word. Oh. <laughs> we, can't, we can't do that, huh? <laughs> um, <laughs> so they changed it. So that's why they have, they like, say like three times in the movie, they're like, he's not Scar's son. <laughs> we cannot be clear enough on this. <laughs> I didn't even. Th- oh, wow! I completely whiffed. Uh, Michael Eisner about is that. the one who is like, "Please don't make them related." Oh my and god! And you know what? Fucking props, Mike. You were right. Great choice. Yeah, that's so funny because they did really hammer on it, and I was sitting there and I was like, "That's thematically kind of odd, right?" Because you're saying like, "Kovu's going to be the first to turn, and he's the one that's like not Scar's like direct relation." So are they trying to imply that like you're born evil? And then, you know, thankfully, Vitali, his his cool, hot lesbian sister, um, who her priorities are to fight MILFs and look good doing it. <laughs> uh, she also was like very quick to be like, mm, actually, it seems like this other pride is like chill and cool and they have food and they accepted my brother. So maybe we shouldn't kill them all on principle. Yeah, um, I mean, Simba, I do think Simba thinks that some people are born evil, the way he talks about how there is a darkness in Scar. Uh, and it's like, hey, man, I don't know if that's the, the tack you want to take with his adopted kid. Right, and like, poor Kovu looks absolutely traumatized walking next to him going, oh, damn, I never heard anybody talk about my adopted dad that way. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, like, so there's... Notably, like, I think this one has maybe the only good songs out of any of these. Absolutely. Good. So- they have great songs in this fucking movie. Yeah. No, the, two, the two main ones are, of course, um, fucking uh, Zero's Lullaby, oh. uh, which is a banger. And then there's um, the one where he's getting exiled. What's that called? One of Us. One of Us, yes. Um, deception, disgrace, evil as plain as the scar on his face. Banger. Um, so good. But yeah, no, like, and then they also bring in the the song from the Lion King original musical, which is He Lives in You for the opening. I'm pretty um, sure this predates the musical. No way, really? I could be completely wrong. Word? Lion King on Broadway started. Start year. Uh, this oh, came no, out in... no, 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 it pre- the, the Wow, the Broadway musical predates this by one year. So wow. there is a non-zero chance it got added, like, during production, basically. Yeah, because one thing I noticed was, like, there would be, like, you could either start or end this movie with Circle of Life, um, and it doesn't do it, which I was, like, a little bit, at first I was like, oh, I kind of wish they ended it with Circle of Life, and, you know, brought it all back around, but, like... I have to admire the restraint that Lion King 2 uses because it does very little callbacks. You know, it uses the original plot from the first movie, but, like, it really does focus on these new characters. Um, and, like, it plays off their relationships with the old ones. But, you know, Kira and Kovu are, are the main, like, f- interest in here. And I, that's what I'm... Get, whenever I talk about, you know, Disney reusing characters and plot lines, that's what annoys me. And, like, this is iterating on something in an interesting way and i i really have to respect this film for that right and it does something that i think the other films fail at which is like it keeps the the like balance of the characters really well so like the main leads are the main leads they're like serious they have a serious plot line with stakes that are similar to the original movie so like in the original movie mufasa died you have to fight for the pride in two 
you have to fight for the pride again. And Zero's trying to do a murder on Simba. And she's like very into the murder part. And I'm into that for her. That's great. There's uh, a great line that we both wrote down from Zero's lullaby, which is like, um, the, the battle, battle may be may bloody, be bloody but, but that, that kind of works, works for me. Fucking killer line. Ah, oh, so uh, good. That whole song rules. If y'all haven't listened to uh, My Lullaby, that, that song is dope as shit. Um, but, like, you know, Timon and Pumbaa are still there being husbands. Like, but they they don't take up more of the, the story than they need to, like Iago does in uh, Return of Jafar. Mm-hmm. And there's another one that's very sidekick heavy. Uh, uh, it's not Hunchback. Mulan. Like Mushu yeah, Mulan's Mulan. all about the three dork soldiers. Yeah. And Mushu. Um, and Mush, yeah, we'll get there. We're canceling um, Mushu this episode. Yeah, I'll fucking flay that dragon. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, like, uh, it, this is like, this is like the ideal, right? Like, this is like if you know, this is the good universe where like they they take people, you know, they they get a, like also the animation like maybe improved. Like, I, I wish that we knew what the budget for this one was because like it seems like they really put their whole lionessy into it, and like that's. You know, that's important. That's that's good. Like this is these this is what these films could have been if they had competent writing and like competent, you know, like lyricists. Like, you know, notably there's not gonna be a fuck they didn't get Alan Menken back for most of the any of these. Um, frankly. You know, they didn't get Elton John. But like they got like some real dudes. Uh Nick Glennie Smith is the person who did the score for Lion King 2. Did a fucking baller job. Shout outs to Nick. <laughs> there listen, there was a moment there's a moment where the, the two kids are playing like they meet each other uh as children like nala and simba when they used to hang out when they were children and they're like playing and they escape from alligators and like a genuinely cool choreographed scene it looks good and the alligators simba, are fucking cool they're dope and like there's a moment where kiara like jumps on one to shut its mouth for it like it's a dope scene it looks great uh then they roll up onto the cliffside and zira and simba come and like take their children apart and the light motif that plays is the My Lullaby leitmotif. And I'm like, this sounds good. This is a good sounding movie. Like it is, it's scored well. The songs are memorable. I was singing along, having a great time. Like I still remembered all these songs, even though like I haven't watched this movie in ages. I even like when I started watching Lion King one and a half afterwards, just as like, um, I was just in the mood, I guess, for mo- more Timon and Pumbaa shenanigans. <laughs> I still remember Dig a Tunnel. I haven't seen that movie since it came out. <laughs> <laughs> That, yeah, Lion King 2 sets a very, very high bar, and then the drop is uh, precipitous. precipitous. Yeah. <laughs> uh, shall we move on to, um, uh, is it is it Hunchback? I think it's Hunchback. Who are our new characters? Uh, there's, uh, there's <laughs> Saroosh. <laughs> Saroosh. So he's the evil circus guy. Um, and his whole deal is that he wants to see steal La Fidelle, which is like a big bell in the Cathedral of Notre Dame that is encrusted with jewels. It's fake. Um, I looked it up. It's fake. I was curious. I looked it up. It's fake. Man, I wish that they were stealing really real Catholic artifacts in all these movies. Um, but like, yeah, um, I don't know. He's like evil and gay. Like, I don't know. What else, He's what evil else and want. in love with himself. Like Narcissus levels, paintings of himself, <laughs> mirrors everywhere. He has a fucking, like in his tent, he has a button that he presses that either switches between filling his entire tent with mirrors or filling it with portraits of himself. It fucking rules, actually. Goals. <laughs> Absolute goals. And then uh, his little assistant and our uh, love interest is Madeline. Madeline. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, whatever the, whatever the French way is to say it. Um, played by Jennifer Love Hewitt, uh, funnily enough. Um, I liked Madeline. I did not. Okay, how come? She was too self-deprecating. Yes, that they make her just be like. So her whole goal is like she wants to be a tightrope walker, um, and like she she is always constantly practicing. Um, that's her dream. She doesn't want to just be uh, Sarusha's hot assistant. Um, and like constantly, she's just like, oh, well, someone like me could never be as cool as you, Quasimodo. Um, and like, <clears throat> I the thing is that you know she gets to kind of be a character. Right, she at the end like she helps save um, the other new character Zephyr, uh, played by our boy Haley Joe Osment, famously voice actor for Sora. <laughs> see, this is the Sora years. <laughs> yeah, no, this this came out the same year as Kingdom Hearts One. You can tell uh, he sounds like a child, and he does a great job. Um, he, uh, he, does he, fa- he does a great there's a moment where poor Zephyr gets kidnapped as part of this bell stealing plot and the way he cries out for his dad like did something like emotionally damaged me I was like oh damn I'm sad hearing yeah your dad boy. instinct kicked in you're like I have to <laughs> save a boy <laughs> I do I always have to save a boy um, but yeah you know I do wish that they made Madeline a little bit more uh, confident um, I <laughs> I think it's very funny that like Saroosh caught her stealing from him when she was six and she was starving and um, very much like um, fucking what's his name Javert is like oh you were stealing a loaf of bread because you were hungry I'm gonna enslave you yep and uh, you know she does she does get away from him thankfully but like she's i mean she's like very archetypically a 90s character of like she's not like other girls and she's quirky and she's clumsy and that's her thing and i'm like god baby i wish your writers did you better uh because there's potential there um that being said uh you pointed something out in your notes that i really liked which is the thing that saves our boy zephyr in the end is the b plot Mm -hmm. it's her tightrope trick yes exactly right this is competent storytelling right this is the thing that gets introduced that's like kind of a thing but like you know not doesn't take center stage until the very end you know and then it finally comes up at at the moment that it needs to uh and it works and it's like okay finally madeline has regained her agency you know confronted uh sarush and and defeated him um and you know cemented her loyalty to quasimodo and the gang um you know it's it's basic storytelling that you'd think that they'd be able to nail considering they've been doing this for literally decades uh but we'll get there um you know like i this film got like a 30 percent on rotten tomatoes i don't think it was nearly that bad it's you know it's not incredible i think that you this is i think of all of them i think this has the worst animation yes um everybody is like a little lopsided (laughs) (laughs) everyone's just a little janky um Except for Quasimodo. Quasimodo looks absolutely on model every shot. And -hmm. I think that's because uh, he is, one, the most recognizable, and two, like, the hardest to draw. So Mm -hmm. I have a feeling your most expensive animator is on the Quasi-Beat. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, so this movie, I think the story is fine. It looks Mm -hmm. a little janky. That's okay. Super low budget. Not a lot of time. I get it. The dialogue sends me to hell. Oh, really? I winced multiple times. Especially, okay, so the main contrivance of this whole um, rom-com uh, hunchback is that... Yeah, let's talk about Le Jour d'Amour. <laughs> yeah, the day of love, um, which, number one, since when is Kloppen in cahoots with the Catholic Church? That was the whole point. <laughs> it was... 
it, that was the whole tension. Uh, number two, you, the point of this holiday is you couple up and then everybody gathers in the square and you hold hands with your beloved and you take turns going up onto this floral podium and you yell each other's names and you like declare your love. And it is the most gag-inducing shit I've ever seen in my Like, I'm just allergic to PDA, but, like, I couldn't watch it without wincing. And the worst part is when Zephyr is talking to Quasimodo, and his parents are being, you know, they're being squishy over in the corner. They're very in love. I, I like bless. this bit because it does make Phoebus uh, a wife guy. Uh, a wife guy, but an incompetent cop, Esmeralda, get your man. <laughs> I think that's intentional. I think Esmeralda's like, listen, you gotta fucking just be bad at your job now. You're dating, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> you're married to me. That's fair, that's fair, that's fair, that's fair. Yeah, because he is, he's a bad cop. He sucks ass. He's the worst cop. <laughs> Incompetent. But anyway, so Zephyr's under the bell with Quasimodo. They're having, they're best friends, by the way. This little boy and Quasi, tight as hell. It's very cute. I like um, it. It's fucking... Ooh, Zephyr asks, Quasi, whose name are you gonna scream? And Quasimodo's like, no one. And then Zephyr's like, well, then who's gonna scream your name? <laughs> And I was like, it does sound like this little boy's interrogating Quasimodo about whose brains he's going to fuck right out of their head. Like, y'all. Which, I'm, by the I'm, way, <laughs> it's implied that Madeline is going to fuck the brains out of Quasimodo at the end of this where? movie. Because they're like, hey, you better take care of Quasi. And she's like, oh, I will. <laughs> This is a horny one in a lot of <laughs> a really, horny films. This is a very horny film. It's a very horny. It was honestly, I remembered it being like criminally bad. It's fine. It was completely it's fine. fine. It's forgettable. Uh, fine. One one thing before we wrap this one up, I do like that um, Zarush is so. I was very concerned about how he was going to steal the two-ton uh, brass bell uh, from the Notre Dame Cathedral. Uh, the answer is magic. <laughs> He's flat magical. He just teleports it, which I think is cool. And I wish that more of our villains were just straight up magical. And also, shout out to Saroosh, uh, when, because Zephyr is like, at the moment he sees the circus, he's like, I'm going to join the circus. And his dad is like, no, you're not. He's like, yes, I am. <laughs> and he runs off and he's like, you can juggle three balls. And he's like, Mr. Saroosh, I want to join your circus. And Saroosh, without saying anything, takes one of the balls, fucking signs it, and hands it right back. <laughs> it rules. It's a, really good. He's a great villain. And that's that's another thing I noticed, like, between the movies, uh, the top three here that we have. If your movie is nothing, make your villain fun. You've got to have an interesting villain, yeah. Zira, delightful. Sarouche, so, what is Sarouche's sin for the first two acts that he wants to steal from the Catholic Church? He's not even stealing from the church, though. He's stealing from the people who come to the circus uh, is is the thing. Which, okay, well, like, that's bad. Whatever, sure. That's why he's bad. Fucking fine. But, girl, stealing from the church, it's that's always It's always moral <laughs> to steal from the Catholic church. Uh, trust me. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Uh, and then, you know, uh, what's our third one that we found passable? Um, Aladdin 2, Jafar. G- J- it's because of Jafar. Let's, let's be clear. <laughs> yeah. 
he's got an aesthetic and he sticks to it. Let's talk about Return of Jafar, um, which yeah. is, you know, which, like we said, the, the, the one that started it all. The, 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 the genie's curse that uh, the gave us the... Paw. Yeah. Um, I mean, this one is like... I I this one really got me. Um I was I was really upset about Return Return of Jafar um because I think the 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 plot contrivances are really bad. And this is where we start getting like people acting out of character. Yeah, um, Jasmine is just a new person. Right, because like Jasmine's whole thing is being independent and and wanting more for herself. Even if we're not <laughs> talking about the great one with Will Smith uh, in 20, 2018, I want to say, um, you know, J- Jasmine's whole deal is like, you know, I want to go out and be among the people and and you know not be stuck in the palace. In this one, she's like, no, I fucking love being in the palace. My uh, boyfriend can go and rob people and then dispense gold flying from the magic carpet. Uh, not that he has any political influence over me or my father uh his whole his economic reforms are entirely tomb raiding based um but like her whole thing is that like aladdin's aladdin saves uh iago um because iago was trapped in the sand i guess um and he he escapes and he goes to find aladdin uh, and then iago saves aladdin's life from abby small <laughs> Uh, of of all the five movies here, this was the only one that was that got a little warning from Disney Plus that was like, okay, so straight up this one was racist. <laughs> I'm we're sorry. Uh, well, we know we made it in 1994. We did we did lean a little into the racism. Sorry about that. Um, but like, yeah, this fucking thief who's literally named Abysmal um, is trying to kill Aladdin. Uh, but. Uh, Iago saves Aladdin, and then Aladdin's like, well, maybe Iago's not so bad. Oh, but I gotta hide Iago in the palace. Uh, Jasmine will never understand if if she finds Iago here. And, like, just talk to your fucking fiancé, dude. Yeah, this could this entire movie could have been avoided through a conversation. Um, mm-hmm. I do also, uh, this watching this in The Lion King 2, uh, which I think me... Either me and you or me and your wife had the same note of, like, at one point, Kiara in The Lion King 2 goes, look around. What differences do you see? And I just immediately went, eyeliner. <laughs> like, that's what's different. That was Disney's shorthand for evil people was eyeliner. And so, like, all the evil brown people that they want to be evil brown people wear eyeliner. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's just horrifying dark circles around their eyes. Um, yeah, this one... It's funny that this one made you really angry because this one just bored me to tears. I couldn't recount a single story beat for you. Um. Or song or joke. I just know Abu was having a really bad day. No one let that little monkey breathe. Okay, I remember the one song, which is the one where Genie returns, um, not voiced by Robin Williams because they could not afford him, Um, but like... I just remember that one because, like, they just went through every ethnic stereotype uh, to describe how he traveled around the world. And I was like, oh, interesting choice, um, which was, you know, th- they also make a reference to shekels, which is a very strange thing uh, because that's not a currency that is used in, um, I guess, Agrabah, which is a conglomerate of, you know, Middle Eastern slash Indian countries. That's a Jewish thing, and I'm not thrilled about it. (laughs) You know what's funny? 
so I literally you said the genie song and it like awoken me like a oh, no. like a like a sleeper memory. I know exactly what happened during this movie now. The when he started recounting all of his travels, he did a really offensive racist accent for when he was talking about China, and I uh. I blacked out. Ah, uh, then you stopped recording. <laughs> I completely, I think that was the moment I was like, ah, this is why the warning was up and nothing else absorbed. Yeah, yeah, it's not great. Every voice actor in this movie is white. Um, uh, well, let me think. <laughs> every voice actor in most of these is white. That's also true. Um, one, I th- they mentioned that the Taj Mahal, that Genie vis- visited the Taj Mahal. Um, and that, I stood up and yelled because I was like, <laughs> Is the palace not the Taj Mahal? Is that not a reference to the Taj Mahal? And apparently, no. Apparently, Agrabah exists in our Earth uh, and is different from the Taj Mahal in in India. So I was like, okay, fuck off. Can I pitch you a theory? (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so because Genie... I, okay, so famously, I don't like the movie Aladdin. And part of the reason I don't like the movie Aladdin is the same reason I don't like the fucking Gargoyles and Hunchback is because I don't like it when my period pieces bring in elements from the modern day. So all the neon signs and the the airplane references, I hate all that shit. It's not for me. Um, Jafar, who is a previously very serious character, gets a very similar genie song where he also pulls in weird random references from our modern world. I think the lamp just gives you dimension powers. Yes, that's a good point. Uh, You can just see through the fourth wall. So I do think perhaps Agrabah is a thing of its own, but Genie can just kind of go to the Taj Mahal. Sure, that's good for him. Um, Yeah, uh, Jafar got a song. It was pretty bad. Um, There was a sequence where he dressed up like where he changed himself into Jasmine, um, and it made it seem like he was gonna fuck Aladdin. Um, he, he doesn't, unfortunately, but it was very funny. Um, yeah, and then at the end, <laughs> uh, Iago calls Aladdin his palace pal, which definitely <laughs> sounds like they fuck. Um, I don't know. It was, it, it was a bad movie, but it was, like Layla said, like, largely fine. It was largely... It- Except for the racism, which... <laughs> yeah. It was a forgettable little time capsule of a movie. Correct. Um, <clears throat> Where they cut off your ear if they don't like. If they don't face. like your face, it's barbaric. But hey, it's home. Speaking of barbarians, <laughs> All right. here we fucking go. All Here's right. the end of Mortified. Where Layla and I get into a screaming <laughs> match over Pocahontas to Journey oh my God, to the I'm... New World. Okay, 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 okay. Oof. <laughs> So let's, we have to go over the new characters, right? There's new yes, characters. Yeah. One, Unamatamakin. He does not say a word the entire movie. He is Pocahontas' bodyguard. However, he has some of the best comedy. He's um, great. I love him. There's Mrs. Jenkins, who I think is the best character in the entire flick. She is John Rolfe's, uh, like, house, live-in housemaid. Mm-hmm. Then there's John Rolfe, who's just like John Smith, but different. Yeah, he's a little bit less mask, I guess I would say. Like 10%. And then I would like to point out that John Smith in this movie, famously in the first movie, voiced by Mel Gibson, in <laughs> this movie, he is voiced by Mel Gibson's little brother. Listen, they couldn't shell out the, the fat stacks for Mel on this one. Uh, good riddance. Um, there's also the king and queen of England. Oh, right. Um, 
they're whatever they they play a role um and i guess there's i don't the fucking governor is back uh he's like the main antagonist yeah yeah sure i couldn't tell you his name all right i can't unfortunately because of my (laughs) deep-seated loathing for this movie okay let's let's go all right mount okay mount your defense bitch i thought this movie was fine Mm -hmm. um did you yeah so let's let me be clear i don't i'm not defending any of the racism in this movie i think Mm. this movie is full of racism and that's bad i do want to say that if you meet this movie where it's coming from where it is asking you to come from i think it's it's a completely fine asking you to come from aaron it's asking you to come from an alternate history in which the fucking Pocahontas wasn't abducted um, and made a child bride, right? It's coming from a completely f- fantasy world, right? Um, a world in which, like, you know, the historical atrocities committed by, uh, you know, settler colonialists did not happen to the native people of of the Americas. Um, and, like, right, th- this whole... Here's the thing. Pocahontas's arc in this story is like she she needs to go stop the English from invading America. Um, and like she has to travel with John Rolfe to convince the king to not send an armada over there to crush crush her tribe. Um, and like at first she's like, OK, the way that I'm going to do this is I'm going to assimilate into English society. I'm going to wear their stupid dresses and I'm going to wear their necklaces and I'm going to put powder to lighten my skin. Um and like, you know, bad and racist. Um, but like, she tries that, and then they do this thing at this party where they have them torture a bear, a bear baiting thing, which like it was a historical thing that people did, I guess. Um, and like, that's like she's like, oh, you all are the barbarians because you're torturing a bear for fun, and they get all upset about that, and they imprison her in the Tower of London, which is very funny. Um, <laughs> And then, you know, with the help of resurrected John Smith, who in this one, again, also necromancy exists in this universe because John Smith fully died uh, by the time that Pocahontas 2 took place. Um, so John Smith, John Rolfe team up uh, with Pocahontas. They they break her out. Um, and her confrontation at the end, the reason that she convinces the king to not invade, um, she at this point, she has taken off all of her English garb. She has embraced herself as, you know, somebody who you know, does not want to assimilate into English society. She she is like, I need to be who I am and, and embrace my, my heritage and, you know, what my people have taught me, the lessons that I've learned. Um, and I, you know, she talks to the king. She's like, hey, you know, her, her embracing herself is the reason that for whatever reason, the king is able to um, be like, oh, okay, you're actually cool. We're not going to invade anymore. Um, and, like, the central core of this movie is, like, actually the English are, were, like, kind of fucked up at the time, and by being, you know, true to yourself and not assimilating, that is how, you know, you, you achieve what you were setting out to do at the beginning. Um, and for that reason, I think it's a fine movie. Counterpoint. This movie <laughs> fucking sucks and it made me so fucking angry. The racism in Aladdin is a decoration. It is, it is setting. The racism in Pocahontas is the fucking plot. Yes, that is true. (laughs) Literally, okay. So what this cacophony of nonsense posits is that three years after the event of the last movie, John Smith is dead. 
Pocahontas and her lesbian friend are being lesbians, and her lesbian friend is like, you need to forget about John Smith. Three years have passed. When they show you the village that the colonists have built, it is a full village. There are fucking watchtowers and cannons and shit, right? For some godforsaken reason, the tensions between the village and the native tribe are still extremely high, even though the whole point of the last movie was the whole we're not so different bullshit, right? Even though it was, again, racist and lives in an alternate reality where Pocahontas is not a child bride. Whatever. I'm willing to meet it there for nostalgia's sake. I love that movie. I know it's terrible. It's unfortunately really well-crafted and the songs are bops and it's too ingrained in my psyche to let it go. That being said... John Rolfe pops over on his little pony, and he's like, <laughs> I'm John Rolfe. I'm here to take you to see the king. And Pocahontas is like, a lie. And he's like, well, he, oh, he thinks that we would do better under his united rule. Which is, you know what? I'll give this movie that a fine premise, because that's kind of what fucking happened. Is King George was like, yeah, that's just all mine now, right? Poc- here, Pocahontas goes back to her tribe. And for some reason, I started to fucking get the hint that the knowledge of the people this tribe has been living next to for, again, three years has somehow evaporated because the chief is like, oh, Udamatamakin, you should go with Pocahontas. Take this stick and put a notch in it for every white face you see. Bitch, you know there's more white... You know this. You know there's more people in England. One. Two. Pocahontas has a moment in her little dress-up montage where she runs out in front of John Rolfe in her little petticoat because she's like, oh my god, this is obviously the full outfit that I have seen English women wear before in the village that I've lived next to for four years. Don't I look great, John Rolfe? And John Rolfe is playing all coy with his like, fucking eyes over her. He's like, ugh, Mrs. Jenkins, come get this a heathen. And she comes and she's like, oh, Pocahontas, this is your underwear. As if she doesn't know. She knows. There's no way she doesn't know. And it's the same shit for the rest of time. And that bear trick is really cheap. Everything they do, every plot beat is really cheap because it is just relying on Pocahontas not having an understanding of things she would have to have an understanding about having lived to English people with English people for three fucking years. Because when she comes to the fucking London, she's like, oh my God, is this all for one tribe? Yes, she knows that. There's no way she does not know that. It's awful to watch. And as an immigrant who had to assimilate from a quote-unquote lesser culture to a quote-unquote greater one, it really pissed me off to have to watch her play along with this plot instead of having very obvious and available moments in the moments that the movie already provides to do a better job job of conveying the thing she was trying to do like for example they have like a little dance or not a dance scene they have a whole thing where, where john rolf is like Ugh. i hate john rolf can you tell he's like, <laughs> i have to go see the king of pocahontas we have so many conventions you couldn't possibly understand i have to go see the king and then later i promise i'll arrange for you to see the king what a great moment that would have been for Pocahontas to be like, oh, you mean your king cowers behind convention when my father, the chief, walks among his people and yours? There were, like, moments available for Pocahontas to point out the fact that, like, the English culture is barbaric from her point of view and talk about, like, the fact that their justice is not justice at all. And, like, listen, it could still be corny. It could still be bad dialogue, but a much smarter way than the savage from America comes over and she feels bad for the bear. Fuck this movie. That's how I feel. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm not gonna, like, push back. I don't think any of your points are invalid. <laughs> like... Sorry, I just got really mad for a really long time, but I really hate this movie. It made me angry. <laughs> Clearly yeah, still does. I mean, I, I think that's fair, right? If you're gonna make racism a plot point in your movie, Ooh. I think it deserves to be criticized for that, right? And the songs are bad! The songs are not good. In it. None of the songs are good. Even the villain song is bad, and that's... If you can't do a villain song right, what are you doing? Right, like, what um, is Ratcliffe had? Mine, mine, mine. That's not rules. From the first movie? What the fuck was this masquerade bullshit he was trying to pull? What is it with the 90s Disney sequels and clown shit? They love clowns. <laughs> we're in major Harlequin era, apparently. Yeah, now that I think about it, we're we're going... There's a lot of clownery happening, and I'm I'm not entirely sure why something to think about um it should be pointed out that these these movies do come out of australia these are this is an australian disney studio so maybe australia had a clown phase yeah who knows um not me uh i don't think there's anything else really to talk about in this no, movie i think you kind of hit just it just coming down right now uh, the king has a life-size chessboard, and I think that's cool. Yeah, I thought uh, of you. That was very funny. I think any sort of life-size chessboard gag is usually pretty funny, especially uh, <laughs> when it's cartoonishly cumbersome to move. <laughs> yeah, they have to get, like, servants to move the pieces. That's very good. Uh, okay, now we can finally get to the actual worst movie. Ooh. Somehow, some even in even after Layla's um, complete obliteration of Pocahontas 2's inherent racism, somehow Mulan 2 is worse than that. Mulan 2 is unwatchable, I would say. You I, walked so away, didn't you? I fully had to stop watching. <laughs> there is a... So, okay, one of the... So you all remember the three soldiers from A Girl With Fighting Four who are like Mulan's friends uh, in the army. They become like very central to the plot of this film. And at one point, um, Ling, uh, the skinny one who likes to tell jokes, um, is uh, trying to hit on this princess... Uh, and he tells this joke. He's like, oh, what did Attila say when he uh, came back from uh, work? He he said, hun, I'm home. Uh, and that point, I had to close my laptop. And I stood up and I said, uh, Sierra, my love, I don't know that I can have children. Um, <laughs> because if this is what children's movies are like, I don't think I can be a father. Um and yeah like i fully had to stop watching and i had to come back the next day to finish the last half hour because it was the dialogue is all like that it's all fucking nothing um so, i think it might be worth it because oh we give a very short summary i think it might be yeah. worth it to maybe talk through what happens in this movie a little bit more yeah. because it is just yeah. so shang bisexual icon bd wong bd wong comes to Mulan's house to propose to her. And I would like to point out my first grievance with this movie, which happened during the proposal when he comes and he shows up and he says, I know we haven't known each other for very long, but I don't think that should matter when it comes to a man's love. If anyone, any of you <laughs> fuckers out there ever say that to me, I'm turning you around and I'm sending you back to the battle you came from because clearly you've lost something. Then the messenger, the em emperor's messenger shows up and he's like, Mulan, Li Shang, for some reason I knew you were both going to be here. I have a missive for you. 
the emperor has a job for you. And they're like, dope. And they saddle up and they go. Mind you, Mulan no longer gets to wear armor because she's a girl. They go to the emperor. Emperor's like, hey, now the Khans are attacking. Or the Mongols are attacking. You gotta, the only way we're going to stop this is uh, if, if we uh, ally ourselves with the Southern Kingdom. And the only way we're going to do that is if my three daughters, that I've definitely had this whole time, marry these three princes. And you have to escort my three daughters to three princes. And Shang is like, dope. And Mulan's like, dope. And he's like, how, what do you need? And they're like, three dudes. And they get the three dudes from the other movie. Obviously, three daughters, three dudes. They fall in love. They sneak off to a festival. For some reason, Mulan's whole thing now is following your heart. Don't know where that came from. So they fall in love. Uh, her and Shang. Mind you, her and Shang's relationship is falling apart. Why? Because Mushu realized that if she gets married, then the uh, husband's temple takes over the care of Mulan. So he would lose his job. So he has spent this entire time trying to break up Mulan and Shang successfully. They get into literally a fight about asking for directions. Their relationship crumbles before our eyes. And then, of course, the Mongols attack. Shang looks like he died. In Disney movie, obviously, he didn't. <clears throat> Mulan goes off, and she's like, no, girls, you don't have to marry the princes. You have to follow your heart. I'll tell them you're dead. She goes and volunteers herself to marry a Cheeto-fingered teenager Mushu feeling bad is sad about it but he's like oh there's nothing I can do Shang shows up Mushu pretends to be the golden dragon of unity and uh, marries them on the spot I guess and like scares the, the <coughs> ruler of that kingdom into uniting with mainland China and Everyone lives happily ever after, and also, I guess, Shang can see Mushu now. Yeah, he merges their, um, their temples, so that way Mushu gets to keep his job. Which, um, he, sh he should be shredded. Yeah, Mushu should be, um, skinned alive, uh, for what he did in this movie. Um, Mushu is ostensibly Mulan's guardian and friend, uh, and if you do that, um, you should probably also not try to break up the marriage <laughs> of your, you know, the person you're supposed to be guarding. Um, so that's kind of the first part where it's like, oh, the bad guy, the bad guy of this movie is not the Mongols. It's Mushu. <laughs> uh, and that is a wild thing to do for a Disney movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Mushu, like... The stuff he does is so fucking stupid because, like, first there's, like, a whole montage about how, like, oh, Mushu, Mushu's actually not, you know, doing a great job. He just, like, injures Shang a lot in the fucking Scooby-Doo-ass uh, <laughs> montage. Um, but then he does this thing where he dresses, he, like, creates, like, a silhouette against Shang's tent. Uh, and pretends shadow puppets. Yeah. Um, and pretends to be Mushu or Mulan and the three princesses. And she's, like, he's just, like, oh... The thing about Shang is that he has garlic breath, uh, and also his dick is so bad. <laughs> uh, and that's why you should all abandon your mission. And it's like, Mushu, why, that's, it's just so out of line, like, it's, it's completely in proportionate, disproportionate to the response, like, 
So, like, immediately it's like, okay, I think, well, Mushu's the bad guy, and he should, you know, what happened to the last guy, bad guy in a Mulan film is that he got strapped to a rocket and exploded to death, and I think that would be too good for our little dragon here. Right, because, again, he is trying to break up Mulan and Shang for entirely selfish reasons. Here's another little contrivance that just sent me to hell. Mulan's dad hands these two because okay they Mulan and Shang are opposites in everything yeah there's this whole montage where Shang's like I want a million children and Mulan's like oh no more than one or two and it's like oh so they're so they're just stupid you know the, one of the greatest generals uh, in Chinese history and you know the hero uh, warrior who defeated um, you know the fucking like uh, what are they they're not they're not mongols in the first one there the huns they're the huns yeah uh the fucking bird man i remember he's a great boss at kingdom hearts too um anyway she's she's Shan super Yu. smart and talented sean you thank you um they're both idiots now they don't know fucking dick and they can't communicate you know things that are aren't important in military strategy at all i would like to point out that uh captain Li shang is a workaholic and a nerd and i think the moment anybody asked him about children i think he would have to immediately remember in that moment that he could fuck that that was just an option presented to him that he that was now suddenly available and i think he would have a panic attack that is just <laughs> like him being like yeah i want a thousand children i'll fuck forever was very <laughs> odd <laughs> that's not, exactly that's not shang at all that i mean he's like right he's our fucking bi icon right he, he he's he's in love with mulan as ping for so long that like Oh my god. Right, and like it doesn't make sense for Mulan to be as feminine as she is, and she like never gets to wear armor or anything, and she's like, follow your heart. And at one point he's like, oh, all you care about is following your heart. You don't care about duty. Bitch, you had her piss scared in your stupid little camp, and she was there because she felt a duty to her father. What are we doing here? Anyway, these two cuckoos are fucking opposites, right? Her dad hands them, I shit you not, yin, yin and yang necklaces. It's not great. It's not great. It's also dumbest shit I've ever seen in my life. Because every time they're having a little moment, they like hold the necklace. They're like, oh. we're like sun. What do they say? Like sun and rain. We have to work together. I'm like, you're something not. Something stupid. Something that didn't mean anything. You're not that different. Guys, you fought a war together. You're both pretty strategic thinkers and, like, serious workaholics. What are you talking about right now? It's just, like, the characterization went completely out the window. Yeah, no. Mulan and Shang and Mushu, all completely different people. Um, And then the three soldiers, which are um, Ling Po and what's the guy who is voiced by Harvey Firestein? (laughs) Yao. Yao. Yao is his name. Um... And like, yeah, <laughs> arguably my favorite. Yeah, no, um, he's great. Like, um, right, the, the I don't know, right, their whole, their whole, you know, B plot is that they are in love with these princesses, um, one of whom is voiced by, uh, fucking Sandra O. Oh. Like, they got real people to do these. I think Lucy these, Liu is also here. Yes, Lucy Liu also in here. Uh, Ming Na Wen, BD Wong, like, you know, fucking, you know, Tent poles of Asian uh, American representation. Uh, I think they're at least in Asian American, you know, movies. Right. The that's what I'm trying to say. Uh, but like, I 
<sighs> I just didn't. I don't, I don't know. Like maybe I was just like the the Mushu stuff had ruined me so much. But like none of their relationships worked for me. Like uh, Poe's whole deal is that like his 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 um counterpart, his princess counterpart, just like like loved dumplings. Uh, and he likes to eat dumplings and like, sure, fine. That's, that's, that's fine. And like, um, Yao, his whole thing was showing off how strong he was. So like, there's a point where like he goes and gets in a fight with the, with a guy and wins his, you know, counterpart a bear. And like, I, I feel like that stuff would all work if it wasn't set against the context of like these princesses being like oh we actually have to fall in love with you know we, we don't want to actually want to marry these princes um and i don't know if that's just because like we're not meeting the movies where they are um or like we are just we're just not we're just not in the right mindset because like i don't know i don't think any any of the b-plot stuff worked none of the b-plot stuff worked it wasn't funny the songs were not good there was just like i had this i had this thought with with hunchback too there is a, a difference between uh, something that riffs off the plot and something or riffs off of certain material and something that's openly disrespectful to the source material. And Mulan 2 is just disrespectful. Right, like they do a reprise of Girl Worth Fighting For, um, which, which is nothing. It's just like, oh, we're horny now. Um, and like you put out your notes, like Girl Worth Fighting For made sense. Because it was set against, like, you know, these guys going off to war, you know, and they're like, oh, this is about the romance of battle. This is about, you know, you know, us, us being great warriors and, and women winning the hearts of, of women because we're, you know, heroes of China. Notably, the thing about Girl Worth Fighting For is, is that's the last song in Mulan. Because after that, they walk into a village that's been burnt to the ground, and they're like, oh, war's not fucking cool. War sucks ass, and, like, they don't sing at all in Mulan anymore, and that rules because it's like, you know, war is bad. You know? And in this one, it's just like, we're horny, we want to meet girls. It's just like, you are fucking shitting all over your source material, and it's so depressing. It's so depressing, and, like, poor Ming-Na Wen and B.D. Wong had to say some of the just the shittiest lines of dialogue I think I've ever heard in my entire life. Just the most contrived. Here's... Disney does a lot of, like, unintentional homoeroticism, right? Like, Kimber <laughs> and Simone are, like, flat-out married, right? Like, they Straight are just up. married. Ping, a.k.a. Mulan, and Li Shang are queer people in a queer relationship. Like, we just have to put that out there. They got shoehorned into straight shoes in this movie, and it shows. Right. We talk about this a lot when we talk about anime, right? And we get, you know, like, two... Like, like when we talk about Kingdom Hearts, when we talk about Naruto, we're always just like, they're going to pair, you know, the 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 protagonist with their, their love interest, who is, you know, of the opposite gender, because that's what you do. Um... And, like, despite the fact that they don't do anything to actually make them have chemistry. Um, and the exact same thing happens here when it's like, oh, now they are they are doing gender roles and they're not just being characters um, and they're not forming relationships. And it's like, like you said, with the fucking, oh, what is with men and asking for directions? Like, that's not what Mulan is about. Mulan is not, Mulan would not give a shit about that. <laughs> yeah, like... This movie is just flat unwatchable. It is not fun for me. It wasn't fun for me when I was a kid. I hated it. I hate it now even more, I think. Um, 
it's it's you know like pocahontas 2 made me viscerally angry but you know i'll give you this like it was watchable uh, there were even a couple of moments i laughed like uh <laughs> mrs jenkins when she looks at uh Udamadamakin, and she's like i'll put some tea on and she sees him and he's really tall and she's like oh i'll put lots and lots and lots of tea on and that made me laugh uh i did not chuckle giggle uh uh the corners of my mouth did not twitch upwards <laughs> in a semblance of a smile. Nothing. I was flat-faced, face and phone, waiting for it to be over. Yeah, tr- truly an awful movie among uh, a fucking <laughs> a cavalcade of, like, pretty objectionable stuff. Uh, anyway, that's our first part of the podcast. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we've been going for uh, an hour at this point. Now we can do our talking okay, points. And there's not a lot to trim, unfortunately. Like, I keep a pretty tight eye <laughs> on, on edit points. Not a ton of them. Uh, here's the thing. Are we too old for this shit? That's a great question. Um, are, I, I, mm, I think you made an interesting point where you were, you know, talking from the point of view of somebody who would want to be a father. Uh, and, like, if this is children's media, no thank you. I remember when my little brother was, like, little, little, like, two. He would watch Cars and Thomas the Tank Engine over and over and over and over again. And it drove me fucking crazy. There was a point in my life where I had Cars memorized. Flat memorized. (laughs) Line for line. I love that for you. (laughs) And, but Cars is a, here's the thing. Cars is a good movie. I used to watch this Spanish 2D animated show called Sylvan. You can look it up on YouTube. It exists. I used to think it was the coolest shit in the world. I was like, this is my shit. I watch it all the time. Anytime my grandma and I went to a video store, I was looking for new, the hot new Sylvan drops on VHS. Okay. I looked it up out of curiosity last year. It is the most dog shit looking, sounding, feeling thing I've ever seen in my life. It is borderline criminal. And... I think I would put some of these in a category of we are just too old for this. I would put Mulan 2, and surprisingly only Mulan 2, in a category of just straight dog shit. How do you feel? I I think this comes back to what I was saying about Pocahontas, right? Which is like, if you are old enough and you understand history and... um, I was about to say critical race theory, which I don't think... <laughs> I think I've been on the internet too much. Yeah, it's, um, it's, this, this, is a, this is a time to log off to... Yeah, Jesus, point. this is how you know we've been doing this podcast too long. Um, you know, if you understand why you make valid points about the racism in, in Pocahontas, like, it definitely affects the ways in which you watch media. But, like, here's the thing, like... Uh, if I was an exhausted parent in 1998 and my kid was fucking screaming at me in the Walmart uh, bargain bin aisle uh, to get a Pocahontas 2 and, you know, I was like, fucking fine, um, you know, and I, I would probably get it for them and, like, would I be thrilled about them watching a film with a bunch of racist shit in it? Like, not really, right? But, like, I think that there is a level where, like, kids don't absorb... I don't think my my kid's gonna get fucking red-pilled because they watch Pocahontas too many times. Um, I I think there's a level to which you can can watch these movies and they are completely fine. You know, there's colors moving on the screen. There's songs. Like, um, notably, 
for some reason, my family had a DVD of, of Hunchback 2. I but not Hunchback 1. Um, I, I, had, I, I hadn't heard the song Hellfire until I started dating my wife wow. um, when we were teens, uh, which is a shame. But like, I remember watching Hunchback 2 in like the, my, my family had like a, a, a van that had like a little DVD player and you could do the flip down screen. It was great. Um, I remember watching Hunchback 2 and, and, and that over and over again. And I was like, yeah, this is a fine film. Um, right. I, I think there's a level to which like it is just raw entertainment that is meant to do the thing that disney wanted these sequels to do which is like give you recognizable characters give you something that'll you know keep your little gremlin mouth shut for an hour um and you know right like i i think that's largely what these are i i think it really just depends on like how much how much effort and and time right as a production professional i'm sure you understand that like there's probably projects that could be better if schedules lined up, if you were given more resources, um, you know, if the right people were there at the right times. Like, I think, you know, we'll get to this uh, in our marketing, but I think there's probably a couple of these that are salvageable. Um, and like, I, you know, I think that there's just like, you know, I, I think that it was really, we are really running up against like people with adult context trying to understand children's media. Um, and that is going to, to limit the, 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 you know, ways in which we interpret people. I don't, that's not to say that I don't think adults should, you know, critically analyze children's media, but I do think, you know, at the end of the day, these are largely just cash grabs. Yeah. Oh no, for, I mean, listen, if I, we are, we are pretty, pretty morally upstanding citizens, or at least we try to be. I think if you and I spent $3 million on a project and it returned in 97, I think something would chemically change in our brains. Oh, we, we turn straight <laughs> up into bad people uh, and we'd be fine with it. <laughs> yeah, for real. Um, yeah. So these are cash grabs. I think, I think the one point I, I want to raise is that like, um, I agree. Like, if my kid, my hypothetical child, um, had a pretty diverse media diet, and then like one of the little pieces of the media was Pocahontas too, I like it's fine, right? Like, it's not gonna, it it's fine. It's it's absolutely not like the worst thing you could watch because again, like a lot of the racism that I caught was from a very personal context and was also from a very like adult context, um. You know, there's a very easy conversation you can have with a kid to be like, hey, that was messed up, right? And the kid could be like, yeah, and that could be the end of it, you know? Uh, the other thing I do want to point out, though, is like, it is, I think that some people do take engaging with children's media a little bit too far, but... Uh, especially like fandom spaces is what I'm referring to. But I, I think Yeah, this is not a fandom podcast. No. I do think it's imp- this. This is something something to the left of that. I won't say opposite, but it is. Mm-hmm. It dips its toes into haterade. Uh, <laughs> adults do make children's media. I think that's why it's important to 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 engage with it. Um, that being said, Disney and Pixar specifically also tend to make their films for a cross generational audience. Um, they always make their movies for kids and adults, uh, very specifically, so that parents can tolerate taking their children to these things. Um, and so to, to like, so like Mulan, right? I love Mulan now. That's a great movie. I cry when China bows to her every time. She turns around, all those people are bowing. I'm sobbing. 
that that film holds up. It, you know, there's there's some problems with it. I think that especially oh, yeah. with the the, re, the you know, there, there's there's conversations to be had about the ways that um you know that culture of of you know Han Chinese stuff is is hegemonized in the story of Mulan. Um, but like, if you're taking it, you know, for what it's you know coming with, it's it's a pretty good movie. Right, and even to like us as as like adults, right? Um, Mulan two is just for kids. Um, and even then, I saw it when I was pretty young, and I fucking hated it. So, uh, I think there's there's a difference between children's media that's, like, a little bit cheap and a little bit harder to engage with, and children's media that is, like, hostile to the audience. Yeah. And, I mean, like, I think that's that's the difference between, like, you know, why some of these are structurally just bad, right? Because they, they don't you know, they don't actually keep in line with the characterization set up, um, in the previous films, right? Like, I, ideally, I, I guess with sequels, right, you kind of have to expect that the audience has watched the previous films, but, like, you know, if you're not keeping, especially if you're doing something like this, right, you, if you're not keeping characterization straight, then what, what's the point? Why, why are you even making a sequel? Exactly, and I think, uh, that brings us into, like, why these are just structurally bad sequels, Number one characterization, right? And for for some godforsaken reason, mostly the women get get odd treatments, right? So like, weird. Wonder why. Wonder weird. how that happened. <laughs> Fucking crazy. Odd. Jasmine's a whole different person. Milan's a whole different person. Um, I would even argue Esmeralda a little bit. Yeah, Esmeralda is basically a non-entity <laughs> um, in Hunchback Two. Um, you know, Pocahontas's agency and, and characterization is is vastly diminished. Um, yeah, like, they, they just act differently because, like, the thing about character arcs is that, like, you have to start with, like, a flaw or a belief or something, and then over the course of it, it gets changed. Um, and, you know, when you do a sequel, like, a lot of the times you have to kind of backpedal on that that development or characterization, right? Like, in, in Mulan, right? You know, uh, Shang and Mulan work, learn to work together. Um, that's that's the whole be a man sequence, right? They they learn that despite each other's differences, they, they respect each other. Uh, in Mulan 2, they do not respect each other anymore. All goes out the window. Mushu helps that, I guess. But, you know, it, it goes back on, you know, the, the building blocks that were laid in, in the first films. And that's very frustrating for a lot of them. The disrespect really starts at Mulan. I know we just... <laughs> Propose to a bitch with that as your opener. We don't even get to hear the actual proposal. We just see Mulan accept it. Yeah, no, we get we get to see her parents betting on it. Her grand, her dad, very and her grandma, which is very funny. That's the only good part uh, in that film. But um, yeah, like they don't, they don't uh, show it. Um, they really don't. The other thing is is the budget. These move fine, right? The characters move fine. There's a little bit of face jankiness in a couple of them, right? Like, I would say especially Aladdin and um, Hunchback. Those are kind of, like, the visually jankiest to me. Um, but, like, it, the cinematography, the staging, and the colors really take a fucking hit for me. Um... Except for in Lion King, which I think they reused some backgrounds. Which makes sense, though, right? Like, that's all in the same area. Like, you might as well save on the budget, right? Well, you would think Hunchback, 
Same seven. That's true. They could probably have just. Re- I don't know. The thing is that th- I think the animation would have been so different, <laughs> right? Because I think like there's a lot of scenes in front of Notre Dame in original Hunchback. Like I remember in particular when he's like being he's up on that like wheel and they like they're like throwing shit at him. There's like a 360 shot of like the of like a plaza or something, and like I think that would look so wildly different. Uh, and and like they couldn't use a shot like that in a movie like Hunchback too, where everybody's just kind of like waddling at each other on screen like i don't know that they can reuse that many assets that's true can you imagine that beautiful shot they have of the rose window from god help the outcasts and what's her face just like tightrope walking across it (laughs) yeah just like waddling across like yeah so that's the thing it also ignores this is something you mentioned it ignores the world world state that the original left behind um so like not only like dynamics between characters but just like straight up like world events are completely ignored hunchback is very funny to me because we leave uh, paris after it's been covered in lava and everyone is completely back to normal when we find them six years later uh, and like Pocahontas, you know, again, the racist little bit of like, oh, the natives don't understand the the ways of the white people when they like obviously did, you know? Uh, just, <laughs> the thing it, is it, that like, if, <laughs> if we were supposed to take the, you know, reset of the politics of Pocahontas 2 seriously, um, all of the fucking um, settlers would have starved to death uh, because they would have just stopped trading with them. And then they'd be like, ah, shit, we're fucking dead. Right. Though, okay. That being said, uh, there is, if you think about it, um, I don't think anybody actually learned how to speak English or Algonquin. I think... Uh, and I, I'm pulling Algonquin from the subtitles of Pocahontas too. That's what that's what it said specifically that it was. Um, fucking, it is the tree that teaches them to listen with their hearts. Ah, uh, it's Grandmother Willow's fault. We're in this mess. <laughs> so. Did they actually learn each other's languages? Uh, And then the last point is that it trivializes the emotional beats and themes of the original. I would argue um, that Return of Jafar, maybe, and The Lion King do the best job of replicating the stakes of the original. Everything else is a horseshit AU rom-com. I mean, Return of Jafar, I don't even think replicates the stakes. It's just like... Jafar's back. Um, like I think that's just a soulless carbon copy. Um, and I think I think Lion King, uh, you know, on the opposite end of the spectrum, creates new, more interesting stakes. That's right. Um, which which is cool. But like, yeah, the rest there's just I don't know that you can separate emotional beats and themes from characterization. Uh, and when they don't nail that, they they just everything falls apart, right? Like this is a big thing in, in discourse um, in, you know, like literary circles. Like there, there are some like real like um, literary fiction types who are like plot doesn't matter, um, which like I think is a very interesting premise that I, I would have to learn more about. But like, uh, right. I, I think that if you do not nail characterization, if you're doing like the kind of, you know, storytelling that, that Western media has done over the past, you know, 50 ish years, like you're, you have nothing. And that's what we saw play out here today. 
Do you know what a lot of these felt like to me? It felt like what I would do when I was a little kid and I would like play with my dolls. Like, right, like you watch The Lion King and it really, or not, I think the best example maybe would be Hunchback, right? You, you watch Hunchback and you're like, oh, that was cool. And you pull out your little dolls and you arrange them all based on who looks kind of closest to what character. And then you go, and then, <laughs> and you, you happen to have a circus set and you go, and then a circus comes into town and there's a pretty girl named Madeline and she's, you know, wearing the strapless dress because that's all your Barbie has and you go, that's Quasimodo's girlfriend now and then Esmeralda and Phoebus, they kiss and then they have a baby and his name is Zephyr and like that's what it felt like to me. It felt yes. like children's playtime and for children, nothing wrong with that. For professional writers. Come on, y'all. Guys. <laughs> fellows. Fellows. Um, shout out to the Yassified wooden sculpture of Madeline that Quasimodo <laughs> <laughs> Listen, as somebody who is very into miniatures, um, there's a big problem in miniatures where everybody, every woman, um, mini has their tits fully out and it's a pain in the ass. When I was like, I want to just have a cool girl. Please don't make their fucking breastily bouncing boobly down the stairs uh, ass miniature <laughs> um so i blame quasimodo for that that's yeah that, that quasimodo is the the warhammer 40k of, <laughs> of the universe um, Christ. uh really quick uh how do you rank the source material best to best to worst so for me lion king was the thing that i watched you know hundreds and hundreds of times um Same. so that was that was my best um second to mulan uh for the aforementioned like taking war seriously um and that that beat where they just don't do more songs after after the attack um third is hunchback we love we love catholic trauma uh fourth is aladdin um i think it's pretty good i like a lot of the songs in aladdin um but um and then pocahontas is is fifth just because i hadn't seen it that much i think the songs are pretty good but i just don't have this much uh as you know nostalgia for it yeah, uh, I think for me it's uh, Mulan, Hunchback, and Lion King are like one entry for me. Like, I love them. Yeah. I couldn't rank them individually. Lion King was also the one I watched when I was the most when I was a kid, and I used to uh, eat my potato chips out of a bowl like a lion because I wanted to be <laughs> a lion when I was a little kid. Uh, Excellent. Very good. Thanks. Uh, also, Nala was my sexual awakening. I still think that lion is very hot. Um then Pocahontas, just because that's a beautiful movie with beautiful songs. Um, unfortunate source material. It is what it is. And then I don't like Aladdin very much. I don't hate it. I'll watch it if it's on, but like, it's not my favorite. I won't reach for it, you know? That's um, fair. Yeah, so I think, it's, I think that's fun to establish because it does not match what the sequels are like. No, not even close. I can't... <laughs> the fact... <laughs> Lion King 2 makes sense, but the fact that we are like, oh, wow, Hunchback 2 is a breath of fresh air. <laughs> <laughs> the fucking bottom of the barrel is scraped raw. <laughs> and truly, yeah, maybe, you know what would be fun? Maybe me and you write a Mulan 2 drinking game. Um, mm. For other people, not for us, I'm never watching this movie again. Yeah, yeah. But listeners, if you're, if you're curious about how fucking abysmal that flick is, um, reach out to us. We'll write you one. Yeah, it'll be great, and you'll black out. Um, so, Layla, your marketing minute is uh, maybe one of the most fraught ones we've had to date. <laughs> uh, and you say, your question to me is, which of these nightmares would you put on Broadway? Um, mm -hmm. Excluding Lion King 2, because of course the original one is on, and also that's too easy. <laughs> Absolutely. 
So, which one of these <laughs> nightmares would you put on the Great White Way? Um, the question is, how much of the story can we change? Hmm. Okay, so I'll give you this example. Um, Hunchback of Notre Dame is it was off Broadway for a minute. Um, it did add Phoebus's war trauma into it. Um, and also, like, a very horny song for Esmeralda and, uh, the rest of the Roma people on stage. Um, that is a good song, but it's incredibly horny, and it does involve Phoebus showing up to the tavern and making out with Esmeralda, and, and Frollo, like, sees it, and is kind of turned on by it, but in a hateful way. Um. Hence Hellfire, yeah. Hence Hellfire. Uh, so, I'll... If this is store-bought ramen, you are allowed to add, not use spice packets that they include or add an egg or whatever you want to make it whatever you need it to be. But the core of it, the noodles and the broth have to stay. Okay, that's the main thing is that I cannot remove material. That'll be a fun challenge, sure. Fuck me. Okay, Uh, in that case, we cannot do Pocahontas. That shit's already irredeemable. (laughs) Um... uh... Ah, so that leaves Mulan and Aladdin. I guess and Hunchback. Hmm. I'm tempted to try Aladdin. I'm okay. tempted to try to make Return of Jafar into something. Okay. Um, I think we would have to do a lot more digging into the interiority of Iago. I think we would have to open with like Iago in some sort of psychic torture chamber, like imprisoned in the lamp with with Jafar, and like that that would be the first thing to set up like his his you know redemption is like he is so desperate to get out um, that he's you know you know he will do anything, um, and that sets up the stakes for him. Uh, conversely, we'd have to see how Aladdin's, um, you know, Aladdin is actually going out and, um, you know, stealing for all this, like, you know, treasure, not because, you know, he thinks this is the best way to, um, you know, finance his life, but because he is having, he is actually trying to fight with Jasmine and the Sultan over the best ways to increase, um, you know, quality of life for the poorest of Agrabah. Um, and I think there's going to be like a whole scene about like, that's why Aladdin and, and, um, Jasmine's relationship is on the rocks because he's just like, I have to go and like steal from, you know, graves. Inflation is fucking out of this world because I'm just handing out solid gold cups to, you know, every beggar. Um, and Aladdin, and you know, I think the Sultan who is consistently played as a dimwit is just like oh well that's good that's how the economy works and jasmine's just like aladdin please my 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 father's so stupid you can't you can't do this you'll you'll ruin the royal family think about us think about our our wedding um and i think that that's like they're gonna have to that'll kind of alter the stakes um i think we have to we have to change the lyrics for Jafar's evil song because the lyrics are really bad. Maybe we'll keep we'll keep it. We can, but I'm gonna add some extra shit because like we can't let it stand as it is. Um, I think we have to get more of Jafar um, really digging into like what it means to have achieved such cosmic power, but also be shackled to the whims of others. I think Abyssmal also has to get some more interiority. <laughs> this is actually gonna be a five act play. A char- <laughs> This is going to be five separate character studies. Yeah, no, definitely. We're going to get, we're going to learn a lot about Abyssmal's <laughs> tortured childhood and his like, and how like he and Aladdin actually used to know each other. Um, and like, they both took very different paths um, in criminality and like how he's like been trying to, to, he's also been in love with Aladdin, but trying to kill Aladdin at the same time. Um, 
and um yeah i think there's a way to do this it just it doubles the length of it, it's a four-hour musical <laughs> it's more like an opera at this point but yeah i think we can turn return of jafar into something uh it just is gonna take a lot of elbow grease layla what would you do <laughs> i don't know if i can follow that up oh my god my cheeks hurt um I would do Hunchback. Here's, all right, all right. Here's what we do, right? Here's why. Now, I think you and I, both of our shows are require fucking unlimited budget. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> because what I want is some Natasha Pierre in the Great Comet of 1812 ass staging where Madeline is tight ro- rope walking over the audience. I want a real circus set. I want the fucking rose window from the cathedral descending down, a la the Phantom of the Opera chandelier just coming okay, down. Okay, counterpoint, I got there too. Um, we build the set around an actual church. We have yes. a rose window. Yes. Um, so that's just always in the background of the set. Great. The thing that this sounds like the chandelier is La Fidel. Ah, yeah, there you go. Thank you. Perfect. Amazing. Yes. And you have to get lights in La Fidel so that she's almost like a disco ball and she's like your <laughs> main lighting <laughs> Yes. Yes, you have all the fucking tech people up there in like ninja <laughs> outfits just like trying desperately not to blind the audience as they work a thousand mirrors around this giant fucking disco or, bell or drones okay yeah there we go that's the drones. actual practical yeah. answer so um that's that's why i want it staged um i think to fix the story i think the catholic church has to be the villain again there's yes. n- there's no other way, right? Like you have to Yes, it's bad that the circus shows up and there's a string of robberies, but why why is it that these people just have like an heirloom ruby but can't pay their rent otherwise? You know what I mean? There's there's something else there. And I think uh it would be helpful to have I think it's the little bishop that took took over the church. He runs now the scrawny one that Frollo like kicked his ass one time. I can't re- No. He looked more respectable. Some other scrawny bitch is running that church now. Okay. Um, it might... I don't remember exactly if Car- this is Cardinal Richelieu era, <laughs> but I know that this is, like, the end of the A Hundred Years' War. Mm-hmm. So I think, like, the church who has been ravaged by the war between uh, France and England is, like, just trying to quickly consolidate power in, in the wake of um, all, all this conflict. And, like, you know, that's... You know, Fe- Phoebus is, like you know, very sympathetic to, to that. And maybe that's why he, he's just like, you know, we have to, you know, we have to make sure that the church has money um, because otherwise there's not going to be any power. Um, and like somehow that, that's why, that's why, you know, the church has hired these, um, the, the circus performers to, you know, funnel cash into them so they can start um, building up their, their empire. Yes. This is it. This is our story. And then quasi, you know, quasi and Madeline can still have their thing. We can still have some wood carving and then, and this is, this is some galaxy brain thinking. Are you fucking ready? Do you know your beef with how Aladdin won't just talk about taxes with his dad mm-hmm. and flies around on his magic carpet throwing jewels around? Okay, do you also remember how for some reason all these Parisian peasants had jewels on them for the circus people to steal? 
a fucking crossover. I think your Aladdin at some point should get on his <laughs> carpet. <laughs> there should be a line for him to fly. Be, yeah, there'll be a zip line from the two theaters will have to be next to each other. We'll have to put these shows on simultaneously. It'll be a logistical nightmare, but like Aladdin will <laughs> will, will have to like do a costume change in your theater, but he'll be like throwing jewels out and they'll, and they'll also be like, mixed with pamphlets advertisements for the the b segment <laughs> you know how there's b movies the return of jafar would be the b musical uh so that way you could do a sick eight hour double feature <laughs> musical which would rip actually but whatever yes <laughs> so yeah, I think I think that Aladdin should be the one uh, giving all these Parisians jewels, and then that causes inflation in Paris also, and there's some political turmoil that could come from that. I think those are our shows. Again, Disney, <laughs> there is so much potential. <laughs> with, with, you know, you had a nugget with these stories, but you know, we really found the diamonds in the rough. Sorry, I think. I'm just picturing. I'm just picturing a fucking hatch opening, and there's like a little <laughs> rail, and Aladdin like zooms around Laffy Dell, throwing jewels into with, the audience <laughs> with a live monkey. Oh yeah, definitely, one hundred percent. Stop, bro. and then just zipping back in to a different hatch. <laughs> this is. This is perfect. I don't know. This is the next evolution of theater. This is the fucking uh, DSTU. It's the Disney sequel theatrical universe, bitch. <laughs> That's the oh episode title. <laughs> Christ. <laughs> oh, I am uh, weeping. Uh, after these movies, I think uh, that's fair. Uh, Layla, uh-huh. we are not proposing the best broadway <laughs> adaptations uh the disney corporation has ever seen mm-hmm. where can people find us on the internet you can find me at l-a-y-l-s-e-s on tumblr twitter and instagram uh at some point this week i'll probably write an essay about how elden ring hides its asset reuse with scale which i think is a really cool thing to do uh and then i also am probably going to write something about how orchestra taught me everything i know about teamwork uh, and then maybe I'll draw something. Who knows? Aaron, what about you? You can find me on Twitter at AaronSXL, where I tweet about tabletop RPGs, health policy, and writing. Um, if the one story that I uh, got published isn't out by the end of this month, maybe I'll write something about the importance of plot or versus characterization. I don't know that I'm qualified to write that, but we'll figure that out. Um, I'm also hopefully going to release a tabletop RPG um about the surviving the left behind uh tribulation um sometime at the end of this week so uh follow me on twitter um or just go to my uh itch.io that's aaron sxl.itch.io um to to get that game there um i do another podcast um at the bible boys with our friends michael and josh we'll be talking about jeff foxworthy's american bible challenge this week uh the short-lived game show about the bible that'll be fucking wild um so check that out um our theme song is obsolete by keshko from the album filmmakers reference kit volume 2 you can find more of their music at keshko.bandcamp.com layla uh i think this podcast has served as a great testament to our to our friendship. 
Uh, and I think we should close it out with some of the greatest lyrics from <laughs> our, our selection here. Through all the thin and thick, closer than frack and frick, we too will do the trick. I'd stick with you. Woo! Happy 100, Mortified. We will see you all next week. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. We're doing a big, we're doing a clip show next week. Uh, it'll be cool. If you, if you missed the, if you need a, if you need a lore primer on Mortified, <laughs> uh, check that out. You'll, you'll hear about us talk a lot about Avatar and Death Note. It'll be fucked up. <laughs> Thank you all for, for listening. Um, it's, it's been a great hundred episodes. Bye. Deuces. Deuces.